Welcome to American Indian Living, a program developed by the Native Education and Health Initiative to improve and enhance the health of people throughout the Native communities. American Indian Living is hosted by Dr. David DeRose, a board-certified specialist in both internal medicine and preventive medicine. Dr. DeRose has a wide range of experience with Native health issues, and he's ready today to help you learn more about your health. Here's Dr. DeRose. Welcome to American Indian Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. I am here in an exciting venue. I am in Minnesota right now. I'm at the Mystic Lake Casino and Resort in Prior Lake, Minnesota. I'm here with a bunch of people who are making a difference in public health throughout Indian country. It is the National Tribal Public Health Summit. Uh, this program is being recorded in May of 2018, and I've already enjoyed rubbing shoulders with a lot of great people. One of them is sitting right next to me in our booth area here in the exhibit hall. If you couldn't tell by all the ambient noise, it's Jeannie Green. Jeannie, it's great to have you with us. Yeah, it's great to be here. Thank you. Jeannie, you have got a very nice booth here in the exhibit area that has a lot of things that have to do with Alaska. Tell us why you're so connected with that part of uh, Indian country. Well, I was, or I am, born and raised uh, Alaska, so um, I'm here with the Public Health Summit to try and recruit for public health nurses for a healthcare facility up there. Um, we don't only recruit for public health nursing, but we also do for physicians and doctors and CNAs, and we are trying to grow our own people up there. And it's very hard to do so um, living in rural Alaska. Well, rural Alaska is an amazing place. Some of my uh, listeners who are regulars know that I spent, uh, oh, it was probably about a week in Nome in the winter a few years ago. We have a station that airs American Indian Living up there. And I, I'll just be honest with you. It was one of the more unusual flights to be flying from Anchorage to Nome. You're out in the middle of what seems like nowhere. Yes. And we were landing around dusk. Now, I'll be honest with you. I was sitting by the window. I couldn't see anything out the window. And it just felt like they were dropping us in the middle of nowhere. Do you feel that way often, or is that home for you? You it's, don't think that? Um, I don't think that. It's home for me. Uh -huh. um, I learned to be able to tell the difference between the sky and the ground when it's winter. So, wow. it's, yeah, you, you get a feeling for it once you've been there long enough. But I actually enjoyed my time in Nome. I'm someone who enjoys uh, even the winter, so I had a good time there. A lot of wonderful people, and some yes. of them were from your neck of the woods. Because you're, are you based in Kotzebue? Am I, I am pronouncing based. it right? Yes, it's uh, Kotzebue. Okay. Yes, I am raised in Kotzebue. Um, I actually came from a village outside of Kotzebue. It's 63 miles out, outside, um, and it's a town called Norvik. Okay. So. Well, I think I gave you the pronunciation of, uh, of Kotzebue. There were some little uh, Alaskan Native young ladies who said they were making fun of how the folks from the lower 48, and they made a point of how they often say boo instead of bew at yes. the end. Okay, so I, I fell right into that trap, right? <laughs> so you're from a part of the country, part of North America, that has some amazing rural country and nature. Yes. And you have health professionals who not only end up serving with you there on a long-term basis, but many come on short-term assignments. Have I understood that correctly? Yes, um, you are correct. We do have um, 
TDYs that come up. Uh, we try and stay away from them just because they only come up for a six-week stint. However, um, we do convert temporary uh, uh, duty assignments into full-time or at least part-time um, employees up there. Mm. Um, and that's something that is a big deal for us because we want healthcare providers that know our people and know our culture and how we eat and how it's related to our healthcare. Mm-hmm. Um, we grew up on sea loyal and fish and, um, game meat, if you want to say, mm-hmm. and those are, our nutrients that we receive and when we eat sugar it takes up mm. or preservatives from the store it takes a big toll on our bodies because we're not used to that kind of foods mm-hmm. yeah so one of the messages that you're giving here at this conference is there are opportunities yeah in alaska is it alaska globally that you're recruiting for or are you just recruiting for your community there um i am recruiting for manilak association mm-hmm. we are a uh, critical access hospital based in kotzebue we have 11 surrounding villages um each village has a clinic of their own that are staffed with community health aides and they're equivalent of an emt one and a two mm-hmm. um they are the main survival point for our communities um And so what I do up there is try and recruit not only professionally, but also trying to grow our own people and letting them know um, one of our one of our values is to take care of your elders Mm -hmm. and having respect and then learning and knowing our culture and our ways. Um, As we all know, a lot of Native American places are their cultures are dying. Mm-hmm. And we're really trying to keep that alive and integrate it with modern day technology and modern day practices. I was actually very impressed. The more I learn about what's happening in Alaska, uh, I was impressed with the facility there in Nome. I was also impressed with the community health uh, workers who are there. Now, you call them something a little bit different. Some places they're community health workers, but up there in Alaska, you have a different designation. You call them CHAPS, right? Is that Yes. And what does that stand for? Um, community Health Aid Practitioners. Okay. Or Community Health Aid Program. So you could become um, a Community Health Aid Trainee and work all the way up to a practitioner, and they're basically an equivalent of an EMT2. Mm-hmm. Um, or you can also further your education and go into LPNs or um, physician assistants. It's a great opportunity. It's a great stepping stone for people that would like to practice while earning money to pay mm-hmm. for their college. And yeah. So some of these chaps are actually really the only health care that are right there in some of these small villages, right? They may not have any people with more training than that. Is that correct? Yes, that is correct. Um, we do have specialty clinics that do go out to the villages at times. And then when there's an emergency out in the villages and the community health aides are able to stable um, the patient, then they send them on a med flight to Kotzebue. And if Kotzebue is unable to perform because we don't have surgery, um, Mm -hmm. we do have x-ray machines. We do have um, a mammography clinic that comes and goes once in a while. However, we do have to transport them down to Anchorage to the Alaska Native Medical Center. So 
you're here rubbing shoulders with many people who are professionals. They theoretically, yes. if they had opportunity, they could come up and work with the Manilic Association and help you staff some of the, the needs that you have, right? Yes. Um, we do have um, full-time positions and part-time positions um, or sometimes even relief. And we offer great benefits. Um, not only are there many advantages of living and working here, it's a five-minute commute walk to work, um, uh-huh. a close-knit and caring community, mm-hmm. um, endless outdoor activities, and ways to enjoy the beauty of Alaska. Okay, so you've got a lot of good selling points there. Now, some people, though, are afraid of winter. Actually, winter has been quite mild the last few years. Um, when I ask people to come up to Alaska, they look at me and freeze like they're uh-huh. already frozen. And um, I let them know that Alaska has actually been warmer where we've been at than um, Michigan, Wisconsin, Minnesota. Uh-huh. Um, we've actually had warmer winters the past few years than usual. Now, I know you're doing something right up there. When I was in Nome, one of the folks who's, I think he's an EMT, he's involved with health services there, he, his roots were in Tennessee, and I just met someone else at your booth who I think uh, was Navajo or yes. uh, is Navajo, but you know was living there in uh, New Mexico or Arizona. Um, she moved up from Florida. Oh, from Florida. Yes, okay. from Florida all the way across. So I'm telling you, there's something happening there if folks who are used to these milder climates are coming up there and working with you and then staying on. Yes, um, we have great benefits to offer. Um, and then on top of that, we have 11 paid holidays, so that's also great. Um, the cost of living up there is high, but mm-hmm. so is our pay. It changes from year to year depending on the competitors, I guess you can kind of say, with Gnome and... Uh-huh. Barrow or okay. Utiavik is how we say it now. So, so yeah. let me ask you this question. Someone's listening right now. Maybe they're between jobs. Maybe they're a physician. Maybe they're a nurse practitioner, physician's assistant, or LVN, uh, registered nurse, whatever. What are you saying? Why should they consider spending any time? You've given us some of the, you're gracious with your salary. It's a nice place, despite what some people may have thought. Uh, do you try to invite them to come up for a few weeks to do some temporary work first to get acquainted? Is that what uh, your strategy is? How does that work? Well, I know moving to a place is a big, it's a big decision Mm -hmm. when you want to move there permanently. Um, So I like to invite people up to come up, try and do a temporary assignment or a relief assignment Mm -hmm. and, you know, stay up there for six weeks and see how you like it. If you don't like it, then it's probably not going to work out for you. And if you don't have an, a happy employee, you're not going to have and provide good services for our people. Mm-hmm. Um, when I say for our people, it's everyone that is in our community because we, it's not only the Alaska natives that you will be serving, but we have a variety of um, different ethnicities and cultures up there um, that we all welcome and share our traditions and we we love teaching and showing people our ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very good. So, six weeks is that a typical temporary assignment? Um, that is. Um, however, it would be in between you and our um, hiring manager to go ahead and determine that factor. Okay. So, if if you're only able to go up for three weeks, then maybe if she needs you for three weeks, then you could come on up for three weeks. Now, one of the other questions is, I'm sure people are asking this, 
someone might be listening and said, well, could this be a working vacation? In other words, would they have some time if they came up for three or four weeks to do anything besides just see patients? Well, that's an excellent question because one of the um, recruiting topics that I use is you can practice what you love taking care of your patients and still able to live your life, like Mm. really live because you might work um, some shifts. You have 12-hour shifts, but Mm -hmm. you work three days on and then four days off. And then the next week you work for four days and then three days off. And right there in Kotzebue, you are everywhere is your backyard. So you're Uh not confined, confined into the city limits. You can go on a 15 minute walk and go pick wild um, tundra berries. And Mm -hmm. we have a variety of them that you can choose. Um, You could go right out onto front street and fish for salmon or um, she fish right now we are at the end of she fishing Um, and that's a really good meal to have (laughs) during the winter so well this is a fascinating uh, possibility i'm favorably inclined to alaska actually i'll be honest with the uh, the listeners i'm not really thinking of, of moving to alaska but they were nice enough as i walked by not knowing who i was to invite me to uh, Alaska. Yeah. I, think, I think that's your standard line. As people walk by, you said, have, have you thought about coming to Alaska? Yes. And they're very intrigued just by the sound of Alaska. But um, really, you have to come up there and experience the vast beautiness of it. It's so much better than you could ever imagine. Well, Jeannie, if someone does want to contact you or other members of your team, how would they do that? Um, they could go to our website. It's um, www.maniluk and that's M-A-N-I-I-L-A-Q dot org and there is contact information in there or they can email Jeannie Green at maniluk dot org and that's J-E-A-N-N-E dot G-R-E-E-N-E at maniluk dot org Okay, so the key thing is that maniluk it's M-A-N-I-I L-A-K, L-A-Q. L-A-Q. dot org, And then you're Jeannie Green, J-E-A-N-N-E-G-R-E-E-N-E. So it's Jeannie.Green at Manilic.org. Yes. Well, those are hard words to spell. They are. But we're glad that you're here, Jeannie. We're glad that uh, there are opportunities in Alaska. And uh, continued success to you at the conference. Okay. Take you back. It was good talking with you. Okay, we'll be back with more on American Indian Living from the National Tribal Public Health Summit in Minnesota. Don't go away. We'll be back with more. Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this. This is Betty White. I know you don't need one more thing to worry about, but listen. High blood pressure can cause kidney damage, blindness, heart attack, stroke. And you can have high blood pressure even if you feel all right. One in seven adults has it, but it's easy to get your blood pressure checked, and you can treat it if it is too high. So don't worry about it. Don't ignore it. Just see your doctor and check it out. For your free booklet, visit the Will Rogers Institute at wrinstitute.org and find us on Facebook and Twitter. 
Emergency medical unit, respond to 102 Maple Avenue, possible stroke victim. When stroke occurs, you have 60 minutes to win or lose the race of your life. There are new treatments, but you must get to a hospital fast. If you suddenly feel weakness on one side, have trouble speaking, walking, or seeing, it could be a stroke. Call 911. Get to a hospital. Because how you spend the next 60 minutes could determine how you spend the rest of your life. Stroke. Know the signs. Act in time. A message from the National Institute of Neurological Disorders in Stroke. If you receive disability benefits, keeping Social Security informed is key. Keeping us informed minimizes the chance that we learn about something later that could negatively affect your benefits. That's the surprise no one wants because it creates overpayments that you must repay, disrupts payments, and can even jeopardize your entitlement to Social Security benefits. Learn more about reporting responsibilities for people working and receiving disability or SSI benefits by reading our online publications, Working While Disabled, How We Can Help, and How Work Affects Your Benefits at www.socialsecurity.gov pubs. Some changes can be reported online at www.socialsecurity.gov. You can also notify us at 1-800-772-1213 or contact your local Social Security office. Our goal at Social Security is to pay you the right amount on time every month. With your cooperation to keep us informed of changes, the likelihood of any unpleasant surprises that could derail your benefits will be greatly minimized. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE, 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. Welcome back to American Indian Living. Dr. David DeRose, I'm here at the National Tribal Public Health Summit. It is May 2018. We're recording this show at the Mystic Lake Casino and Resort. We're in Prior Lake, Minnesota. We've got a lot of great people who are doing great things in Indian country. And across from me now in the booth is... uh, Another person who meets that criteria, Mike Stolarski. He's the president and CEO of Premier Shockwave. Mike, it is great to have you with us. It's great to be here, especially at a casino. It's fantastic. (laughs) Now, Mike, not everyone who is in my listening audience shares that enthusiasm for casinos. Just just an interesting story since you brought that up. Once I was talking with a public health professional and who didn't do a lot in Indian country. Right. And they said, what are you doing at a casino? I mean, and I said... I mean, if you're working in Indian country, a lot of times this is where there, you know, there are convention facilities and all. No, are, exactly. And, yeah. and this is where, you know, people often meet in Indian country. They were very disturbed that I was in a casino. No, I, I, I'm, I'm very, very excited. I, I'm, I'm, big, I'm a big better I, nickel slots. Okay, okay. <laughs> so some, like Mike, are big betters. Others of us love people in Indian country, but we find ways to support them rather than gambling. And I, <laughs> I'm in that category. Anyway, we're both glad to be here. Across from me is your booth, Premier Shockwave. Now, I'll just tell you, I'll just be real honest with you, um, as people are listening to this segment, Premier Shockwave, why would anyone be interested in that? It sounds like something that's just a very distancing name. Right, right. Well, if you're going to be anything that's distancing, you might as well be the best at it, and so that's why we're Premier. Uh, Basically, Premier Shockwave, um, uh, Shockwaves have been in in healthcare since the mid-'80s, when they were first used to treat uh, kidney stones, break up kidney stones, mm-hmm, kidney lithotripsy. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, no, a lifetime ago, I was a CFO of the second largest company in the country that did that. And um, then about 15, 17 years ago, a company called Heltronics received FDA approval with a device uh, called the Ocitron to treat 
chronic plantar fasciitis and chronic lateral epicondylitis um, using pulse acoustic waves, shock, shock waves. And now, now, you're doing a great job of throwing out all these medical terms. Now, many of my patients over the years have had some of the conditions you've mentioned. You mentioned plantar fasciitis, yeah. but a lot of them... They didn't even know what their condition was when they had it, let alone some of our listeners. What kind of stuff are we talking about? Yeah, the, the, the layperson, um, what is called commonly known as heel spurs, mm-hmm. which really has nothing to do with a spur on the heel. It's really just uh, at the bottom of the foot, It's a, you have tendonitis, mm-hmm. basically. Good, good. Nice description. And, and in and tennis elbow is lateral epicondylitis, mm-hmm. and and that's um, uh, the, 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 the meaty part of the, of the forearm. Um, people will, will get tennis elbow from playing tennis, but they'll primarily get it as a uh, um, work-related uh, repetitive stress injury. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, yeah. So, so you're telling me that this technology that was originally and still is used for breaking up kidney stones, yes, yes, is now being used to treat musculoskeletal conditions like tennis elbow right. and, and plantar fasciitis, heel spurs. Yes. But you guys are taking this now to another level. That's where we're going with it, right? That, that's exactly right. And, and the Ostron received FDA approval in 2001 for uh, plantar fasciitis and then in 2005 for tennis elbow. Okay. And then a couple of years later, um, a company named Sanuave purchased the intellectual property and the Ostrons from Eltronics and created um, uh Sanuave. <laughs> okay, okay. So it's a, it's a new company. Yeah, it was, it was an asset deal. I, I was actually part, part of that um, part of that deal. And what, the intellectual property that was th- that we purchased was to treat and cure diabetic foot ulcers. Mm, now you're really talking shockwaves because that, that, that's really the holy grail of shockwaves of just using them to to save people's limbs and, and lives. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, I'll be honest with you. I had never heard of of using shockwaves to treat diabetic ulcers. And when I was setting up the yeah. booth here, Dave, your colleague, was setting up your booth, and we started talking, and I started looking at some of the scientific uh, photographs that he's got and, yeah. and some pretty impressive stuff there. And, and this is legit, and this is not just like stuff you did at Photoshop or anything like that. <laughs> No, no, it's it's very legit. We uh, had a uh, it's a FDA approved uh, class two device. Uh, the FDA approval came December twenty eighth of two thousand seventeen. So, I mean, this is literally the second trade show, uh, IHS or affiliated trade show that we've done, showing off the dermapace. And it was a three hundred thirty six patient, double blind, randomly controlled, no physician assisted closure. Hmm. Um, no antimicrobial, antibacterial gels. It was just straight up um, what's called wet-to-dry cleaning um, of the wound. And uh, just did the dermapase react or was it the control? We had statistical significance at um, uh, 20 weeks with 100% wound closure. And I think one of the things that's the most important in this space is how can we quickly take a chronic wound and make it so the patient's not worrying about losing the limb mm-hmm. and not mm-hmm. losing the limb. Mm-hmm. And from a systemic healthcare cost situation and also from a, a life care um, situation, we can make a very quick impact on wounds that you know people have for 
any wound that's four weeks or older is considered a chronic wound. And, th- and those, are the, those are the sweet spot of where we can, on a cost-benefit situation, really help people. I mean, we can, we can help on fresh wounds, you know, using the dermapase. Um, it's not FDA-approved for that, but it, it has to be four weeks older or, or older for the approval. Um, but 50% of those wounds are going to get better anyway. But for, the, for those chronic wounds, those ones that are four weeks or longer, um, where you, you go from it costing hundreds to many thousands of dollars or to tens or 20 or $50,000, mm-hmm. and, you know, goodness knows if someone gets an amputation, unfortunately, that's, to the healthcare system, that's 50 grand plus the prosthetic, and that's, you know. It, yeah, and just, the long-term just, costs that go along with that. Yeah, and the, exactly, and just also the quality of life. Mm-hmm. Grandma, granddad, you know, can't function on their own anymore now they have to go into a you know assisted living or it's a really feel-good technology I mean, we've been at this for a long time <laughs> and and what's kept all of the um the founders of the company going is, is just knowing that you know this is the one thing you can do in your life that's really gonna make an impact now this is not something that intuitively makes a lot of sense to a lot of people because you're talking about using shock waves and we already mentioned the history yeah. So this is something, these shock waves were used to break up kidney stones. Right, right. So someone's thinking, well, how does something that's powerful enough to break up a kidney stone actually help someone's wound heal? I mean, it seems counterintuitive, doesn't it? Um, think of it this way. Breaking up the kidney stone is a secondary effect of the shock wave. Hmm. And in the body, what we're doing is we are creating a stress at, at the cellular level. Okay. Um, there, there's kind of like there, there's a sweet spot um, therapeutically where you can use a shock wave and it has absolutely no effect on the body or it can, you know, kill a cell. Mm-hmm. And it, we're, in this, we're in that sweet spot in the middle. Okay. And so what we're doing is we're creating a tension on the cell which is tricking the body into creating um, a cascade of, uh, of factors called ENOS, VEGF. PCNA, just a lot of letters, but but basically we're tricking the body into creating something called angiogenesis, which is a fancy way of saying new capillary formation, mm-hmm. and we're tricking the body into um, sending blood to the area um, that's been affected. And thus improve healing. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, I mean, this is really interesting because a lot of people, when I speak to lay groups, I'm often talking about natural therapies or therapies that may right. seem a bit counterintuitive. And what many people think of, they think of things that stress the body as being bad. But when you start talking with them about exercise, you say, well, what do you do to strengthen a, you know, your arm? Well, you stress the arm. You yeah. know, we're learning that and we've known for years. That's how the brain becomes stronger. You stress the brain with various types of things, and the brain produces chemicals that help to prevent dementia or treat depression. Exactly. I really hear you saying the very same thing. Yep. You're, you're mildly stressing the tissue in a way that doesn't hurt the tissue right. but gets it to, to kind of move in the right direction of healing when you've had a chronic wound. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So now... Folks are listening to this show from throughout Indian country, and there's folks who are not Native Americans that are listening. First of all, is this technology just available to Native Americans? Where is it available right now? Well, right now, um, Premier Shockwave uh, is the actually the sole distributor in the United States, uh, and, and our exclusive distribution is, is only to, to the tribes, uh, tribal community, uh, the Indian Health Service, and uh, VAs and military treatment facilities. Okay. Now, um, Sanuave uh, is planning their rollout around October 1 
to um, a number of large uh, key opinion leaders, you know, primarily throughout the West, western part uh-huh. of the country. Okay. And it should be soon to uh, a hospital near you. Okay. Well, this is exciting. So someone is, let's say, a tribal health professional. Maybe they're a tribal council person, and they say, I want to learn more about this. How are they going to go about that, Mike? Well, what they can do uh, is they can contact me uh, at um, premiershockwave.com um, and just, or just email me at M-I-K-E-S, Mike S, at premiershockwave, P-R-E-M-I-E-R-S-H-O-C-K-W-A-V-E.com. Okay, let me make sure I got it. So the website is Premier Shockwave, so P-R-E-M-I-E-R, then the words shockwave, Dot com. You're Mike S. if they want to get you. So Mike S. at premiershockwave.com or just going to the website. Perfect. This sounds exciting. I'm looking forward to hearing more about it. Excellent. Thanks for joining me. we got to step away. We've got more coming up on American Indian Living from the National Tribal Public Health Summit. Don't go away. We will be back with more. I'm Dr. DeRose. American Indian Living will continue in a moment. If you have questions or comments about today's pre-recorded broadcast, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. So, you want to be a hero. Here are some ways to get the job. Hunt down that killer shark. Or run into a burning house to save a kitten. Luckily, there's an easier way to become a hero. Call 911 if you see someone experiencing the symptoms of stroke. Sudden weakness on one side or trouble speaking, walking, or seeing. Stroke. Know the signs. Act in time. You'll be a real hero. A message from the National Institute of Neurological Disorders and Stroke. Can you guess what's going on here? It's kids getting fit. Studies show that children and teens who get at least 60 minutes of physical activity a day reduce the risk of obesity, heart disease, anxiety, and increase their overall mood. So, whether it's around your neighborhood... Or at school, just get out and play. For your free booklet, visit WRInstitute.org or call toll-free 877-957-7575 and find us on Facebook and Twitter. The Will Rogers Institute, since 1936. My name is Tom Thornton. And my name is Cindy Thornton. We're retired, and this is how we live United. We decided to volunteer with United Way at our community free health clinic. United Way is how we contribute. Because we know our time and money are going to the right places. Judging by the thank yous we get at the clinic, I'd say we're doing the right thing with our retirement, too. We're Tom and Cindy Thornton. We volunteer at our community free health clinic. We don't just wear the shirt. We live it. Give. Advocate. Volunteer. Live United. Go to liveunited.org. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. Diabetes affects more than 29 million Americans. If left untreated, diabetes can lead to serious health problems such as heart disease, stroke, blindness, and kidney disease. Your family's health history can be an important factor in determining your risk of developing diabetes. The National Diabetes Education Program wants to help you and your family. Do all you can to prevent or delay the onset of type 2 diabetes. Visit yourdiabetesinfo.org to learn more. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE, 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. Welcome back to American Indian Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. We're broadcasting today from the venue of the National Tribal Public Health Summit 
If you're just joining us, we are recording in May of 2018. We're at the Mystic Lake Casino and Resort in Prior Lake, Minnesota, not far from the Twin Cities, Minneapolis and St. Paul. And I'm sitting now across from someone who has already developed rapport with me, and I'm not even sure that uh, Gretchen Dobrovich knows why. Do you know why, Gretchen? I do not know why. Well, Gretchen is from the western part of North Dakota, and my wife is also from the western part of the Dakotas, but she's from South Dakota. Oh. So I thought that developed rapport with me, but I don't know for a North Dakota and South Dakota, is there kind of a rivalry between the states? Well, it's more on the eastern side between North Dakota State and South Dakota State. So out in the west, it's not jackrabbits, bison, it's... We're just out here in the Dakotas. Um, but after moving to eastern North Dakota, after I finished college, there's definitely a line between the two states. <laughs> okay. And when you talked about rabbits and bison, I was gathering it didn't have to do with wildlife. It's more sports teams. Division one football. <laughs> okay. Okay. Thanks for keeping us all straight. Well, you've done a little bit by way of introduction. You're actually on the east side of the state. Now you're based in Fargo, right? Correct. Yeah. And tell us a little bit about what you're doing there, Gretchen. Um, I am the policy project manager at the American Indian Public Health Resource Center, and we are a, a center of excellence that's located within the NDSU public health um, department. And NDSU offers the only um, master's in public health with a concentration in American Indian public health in the entire nation. And within the the department then also sits the center that I work in. And we provide technical assistance to tribal communities related to public health. And we have a four-pronged approach. We have uh, myself, the policy manager. We have a research manager, an education manager, and we have a services manager. So we do um, a variety, provide a variety of different services for um, tribal communities in terms of building capacity for um, moving forward their public health um, programs and public health initiatives. Now, I'm not just saying this because you're sitting across from me. In fact, I kind of led into our introduction before the show with this, but I've been wanting to get someone from North Dakota State on the show for a while. In fact, I've been corresponding with one of your colleagues who I just learned has kind of transitioned into a another position but i in the public health community i hear a lot about you folks you're you're not invisible and like you said you've been making a difference in indian country for quite a while how long has it been that you've had the special program there um so it's been about four years Mm -hmm. um that the center has been open and the um the master's program it's been about six years so it's been a a relatively short period of time um that The MPH program has been offered, and that since the center has been in existence as well. Um, So it's it's kind of exciting when I think about how um, how many students have um, matriculated through the program, which is not my my area is is not the academic piece. um, But then I think about also um, the number of tribal nations that um, we've had the privilege to work with. And the really amazing things that they're doing in Indian country to improve um, quality of life for folks that um, oftentimes we don't don't hear about those things. So a lot of work in a, in a short period of time has been really cool. Well, we definitely want to hear about a lot of this. And my context is attending professional meetings. I can remember 
less than a year ago, I was at a, a big public health meeting. There was a group from North Dakota State University who were uh, gathered around one of their poster presentations at that professional conference. So uh, I think it's great to be able to have you on the show, Gretchen, representing North Dakota State. Before we talk too much about what you're doing, you're the policy director. Is that the project manager? Yeah, How do you policy project manager? Yep. Okay, and you know a lot of times people get these titles, and I'll be honest with you, sometimes people get titles or they're put in positions that they're not maybe all that qualified for. But when it comes to policy, I mean, you are not just in the public health community, you're actually a state legislator. Is that right? I am. I am. Um, I represent District 11 in Fargo um, in the North Dakota House of Representatives, and I've served um, one term. Mm -hmm. And so I do have a, a background in policy. Uh, my undergraduate degree is actually in social work, wow. uh, but I was not a direct service um, social worker. My mm -hmm. It was really drawn to policies. How far upstream can I engage to try to help um, help us live, work, and play better. And mm -hmm. so even as a working as a social worker, um, I was always working in policy as well. Um, there aren't a, a lot of people who um, can't wait to get home and watch C-SPAN. Mm -hmm. Every day I would be that kid. Okay, um, okay. <laughs> so I've always had an interest in, in working in policy. And, and I would say that's one of the really great things about my colleagues. Um, we all have a different area of expertise mm -hmm. and the position that we have at the center, we do hold education and expertise in the, in those, um, areas. So, um, like you said, sometimes people are in roles and they have the title, but they mm -hmm. don't have the experience. Um, and I think that, um, NDSU did a really great job of saying, okay, we're going to do this, but we're going to make sure that we do it right. Um, and that when this team of people co goes out into tribal communities, um, it's going to be folks that know what they're doing mm -hmm. and um, folks that um, can apply what they know um, to help people move forward. And so it's a, it's just been a really great experience over the last three years working there. So let's make this really practical to the listeners because you've been sharing your passion for policy. And a lot of people might say, well, this Sounds like, boy, Dr. Droz had some great guests to begin with, and now he's going to talk about all this boring stuff about legislation and all. But mm -hmm. there's some real success stories in Indian country that you've been part of, that you've been involved mm -hmm. with. Tell us something that would kind of draw our, our listeners mm -hmm. into the dialogue. Um, I think one of the, some of the really exciting work is going on with um, community health workers and and um, looking at how do we move healthcare out of a building and into people's homes, which when we're talking about providing care in rural areas, providing care to, to elders, mm -hmm. um, it's it's kind of that old-fashioned slow medicine. And um, when when the people when you know the people who are providing the services. Um, you're more likely to engage with them. The other thing is, is that there are a lot of transportation issues mm -hmm. in tribal communities because they are rural. So public transportation systems aren't an option. And so you have a lot of folks that can't get to services. Um, so meeting those pri you know, some of those primary care needs, um, in people's homes, I, th I think there's just some tremendous work going around on around that. Um, I know that the tribes in, um, Minnesota are working on, um, community health improvement programs mm -hmm. and, um, gar gardening has become right, really right. big. The community gardens looking at how do we eat healthier and eat locally and um, learning to grow foods that um, thrive 
in the community. And that's mm-hmm. something that just nationwide um, we've been seeing as, as we work with different tribal communities. And that's been really um, exciting to see um, communities where the, the gas station is the only business in town. So Crazy, it's, yeah, it? it is. It's, they're the grocery store, they're the gas station, they're the post office, mm-hmm. they're, they're the everything. And most of the food is convenience foods, mm-hmm. um, foods that have a lot of preservatives in them, um, foods that are fairly cheap. Um, and when there is fresh produce, um, or healthier foods, they are more expensive because right. it's, there isn't, they don't sell the volume, um, for them. And so it's not, uncommon to find food that's really not accessible to folks. Plus, I, I always think of um, being in a gas station in in a tribal community where um, the only vegetables were canned vegetables and a can mm. of peas was $4. Wow. And yeah, so if you have to choose between I can get a Lunchable for a dollar or a can of peas for $4, it's, you know, you do the, mm-hmm. you know, economically you're not going to buy the $4 can of peas. Uh, so working in communities in Minnesota where um, they're putting in small produce coolers in mm. that gas station that's mm-hmm. the, the, the store of all stores in the community, um, and they're selling local produce. And, and during the winter months, they're finding ways to bring fresh fruits and vegetables in so that people in the community have access to foods that um, they don't didn't typically have access access to. And so that's really exciting when we hear, when we were kind of in on the beginning of those projects and people talking about doing things like that. And now it's like, we'll stop at gas stations when we go through town and we're like, oh my gosh, remember when this was just an idea? Um, and there's also a lot being done around um, bringing back um, traditional sacred tobacco mm-hmm. and lots of work around moving away from commercial tobacco use in terms of um, cessation programs, um, but also establishing policies where um, commercial tobacco is no longer being used in ceremony. Mm -hmm. Um, There are a lot of tribal communities that are are doing tobacco gardens um, so that folks have access to traditional tobacco. And and that's something that's fairly new as well. Now, in the public health community, and a lot of my listeners have heard dialogue about this on the show, but in the public health community, when we speak about traditional or sacred tobacco, at least in Indian country, we're typically speaking about the use of tobacco in ceremonies and people not using it in an addictive way on a daily mm-hmm. basis, right? Right, correct. Um, it's not used for um, pleasure. Mm-hmm. Um, it's used for ceremony. And it's um, when it is smoked, it's not smoked in a... Um, in the same way that a person would smoke a cigarette or would mm-hmm. smoke a cigar. Um, so even the kind of the mechanics of, of, of utilizing it is very different. So you've given us an example there where we clearly hear the policy connection. Yep. You know, trying to have policies at a tribal level where commercial tobacco just isn't used. That's not acceptable. Mm-hmm. I think for some people it's harder to see that policy connection with some of the other areas you mentioned. Let me give you a concrete example. Mm-hmm. Because we've been dealing in Indian country, not just in the radio realm. I also do work in health education, and some of my listeners have heard that we have a small grant this year that's helping with the interface between high blood pressure and diabetes. Mm -hmm. So we have a number of resources that we're making freely available to tribal health professionals and native uh, Mm -hmm. tribal members. But as we've been working with these materials, actually they're sitting right here at the booth. So 
Uh, I know none of you on the radio can see, but Gretchen is looking at, at our book there, 30 Days to Natural Blood Pressure Control. We've got a number of our videos like reversing hypertension naturally. And why I'm pulling this into the dialogue is we want to kind of translate this for a minute because as we've been dealing with books and DVDs, people are often saying, well, you know, it's a great book. I'm a health professional. I like it, but I don't think a lot of my, my patients or my clients would read it or tribal members or people don't have a big attention span. So we just rolled out a series of five-minute uh, videos where we're going through health principles. In fact, we've been dialoguing with some tribal health uh, educators out in California, and they're available on the Internet now. So we have these five-minute videos dealing with eating, exercise, uh, lifestyle issues as they relate to high blood pressure and diabetes. So where we're going to go with this, uh, Gretchen, hopefully, is how you take something like this. It's really been designed for community health workers and other people in home use. And what kind of policies would help something like that be uh, be really, you know, more practical, uh, something that would actually be utilized? So mm-hmm. we're going to try to look at that question as we come back in our next segment. So we're fortunate to have uh, Gretchen Dobervich. She's not going to go away. I'm Dr. DeRose. Of course, I'm not going to leave. And uh, hopefully you are going to stay tuned as well as we come back for our final segment of today's edition of American Indian Living. So don't go away. We'll be back with more in just a moment. Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this. One day, I'll teach chemistry to kids. I'm going to be an architect. My dream is to be a chef. At the U.S. Department of Education's Office of Federal Student Aid, we provide more than $150 billion each year in grants, loans, and work-study funds, making higher education possible for anyone at any stage of life. I can go back to college. I can change careers. I can make a difference. Federal Student Aid, proud sponsor of the American Mind. Learn more about money for college at studentaid.gov. Diabetes is a serious disease that runs in families. If your parents or siblings have type 2 diabetes, you have a greater chance of getting the disease. If you're African American, Hispanic, or Latino, American Indian, Alaska Native, Asian American, Native Hawaiian, or Pacific Islander, you also have a higher chance of developing the disease. The National Diabetes Education Program wants to help you understand your risk. Visit the NDEP website at yourdiabetesinfo.org for diabetes prevention tools, including the Family Health History Quiz. It started off as a normal day. I felt fine when I arrived at the plant. Ruth Junius's life was about to change. Then I dropped my keys. They kept slipping out of my hand. My arm felt numb. A co-worker asked me if I was okay, and I couldn't speak. I started to get scared. Ruth was having a stroke. People around her weren't sure what to do. They thought I should go home or lie down, but I knew something was very wrong. I wrote 911 on a piece of paper with my other hand. And someone called for me. Because everyone acted quickly, doctors at the hospital were able to give Ruth treatment that started to reverse the symptoms. Within a few minutes, I was talking again. I didn't know a thing about stroke before I had one. Now I make sure that my friends and family know all the signs of stroke so they'll get help fast if they need it. No stroke. Know the signs. Act in time. Call 1-800-352-9424 for more information. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, National Institutes of Health. 
You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE, 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. You are back with Dr. David DeRose and with Gretchen Dobervich. Gretchen is the Policy Project Manager for the American Indian Public Health Resource Center at North Dakota State University. We are both at the National Tribal Public Health Summit. And, uh, Gretchen, I kind of gave you this background of something that we've been doing with some tribes out in California that's now available to anyone uh, in Indian country or beyond. Uh, For those who don't regularly listen to the show, my website is Compass Health, Compass Like Giving You Direction, health.net, and people can go to our free materials and they can see this 30-day program. But it brings us back to my question. So there's a program out there. We have one. There's many out there. Community health workers are doing things. How do you... In policy, like if we're talking about this specific program I'm involved with, how would we work with a tribe to change policies to utilize Mm -hmm. a program like that? It would probably be doing more of like an internal program policy Mm -hmm. um, and integrating it into their curriculum or into the service um, that they offer. Mm. Another piece would be working um, with primary care in that community. A lot of times... um, People are, they get clinical medical advice Mm -hmm, about mm -hmm. things like high blood pressure and diabetes. They don't get a lot of lifestyle medicine advice. And that's kind of the public health bend. And so looking at how do, how can public health and and primary care melt? And that becomes a real policy issue because Mm. healthcare, clinical health is so regulated and public health is fairly regulated. And so how do we kind of break down that silo so that they can be working together more? And how do we make public health reimbursable? Because that Mm -hmm. becomes a a large issue as well is, well, if we offer, if we offer this type of consultation, it's third party reimbursable, which helps us be able to, you know, hire staff to be able to Mm -hmm. do the services, Mm -hmm. be sustainable. Um, But if we do this, that doesn't meet the criteria. And so taking a look at how can this fit into that that criteria or how do we change that that funding stream um, to so that they're starting to accept this as as something that's reimbursable so I think there's a kind of a variety of different ways mm-hmm. and and um, I get really excited when I'm in a community and they're talking about how public health and clinical health are starting to work together more and folks are are getting lifestyle medicine um, prescriptions mm. from their primary care doctors Excellent. Um, in addition to, you know, maybe they do need a short course of, of some type of medication to mm-hmm. get their blood sugar under control or, or you know, some other sort of um, chronic, chronic um, ailment. But there's definitely a silo between the two. And um, I, I think the more that we work to break that down by breaking down those barriers that only this person can provide this service or only this person can provide this service. That's where policy can really roll in. Um, And then looking at, um, I think the other piece in policy is looking at leadership. And when things Mm. come from, um, you know, tribal chair, tribal council, Mm -hmm. um, when they're behind it and they're supporting a health initiative, um, that, that holds a lot of weight as well. And um, so, you know, certainly engaging them in getting behind um, new health initiatives and um, moving forward, public health and lifestyle medicine um, is, is really big. No, those are, those are great messages. And my understanding is at North Dakota State, you actually have 
I don't want to call it a think tank or resource center, but any tribe can call you from anywhere in the country and you'll actually try to work with them. Is that a misunderstanding that I've got? No, it's not. No, we're not. We're not just, we don't just serve North Dakota or the upper Midwest. Um, just in fact, a month ago, we were in California okay. and we were working with um, some tribal nations in, or tribal communities in, in, um, in California. Um, we've worked with folks in um, South Dakota, Wisconsin, uh-huh. Wyoming, Montana. Um, we, we work with uh, tribal communities all over the nation. So um, folks... Um, just can go to our website and there's a technical assistance request form Mm. that they can fill out and um, we just sort of just sort of ask questions like what do you want to do what's you know what's your time frame what are you what are you looking for and then um, we take a look at them our team meets once a week and we take a Mm -hmm. look at all of the requests and figure out you know what what fits into the scope of what we do and which one of us on the team is the best person to lead that project. And then if uh, we have had projects that, that we weren't a good fit for. Mm-hmm. And so then what we do is, is we try to figure out who would be um, best able to serve this need. And we try to connect um, other resources to um, the tribe so that um, it's not like we can't help you, therefore mm-hmm. no one can. Um, so we, we do try to... Um, we do take most um, requests, and um, but on the rare occasion that there's one that doesn't fit, we always make sure that um, people have a, a resource available to them. That's excellent. So now you've really got me thinking because even though you guys were on my radar screen, I never connected the dots and said, hey, I'm working on this project with some tribes out west. Uh, we're piloting it out there, but mm-hmm. this might be of something that would be of interest throughout Indian country. Mm-hmm. Should I be thinking or should someone on my team be thinking about contacting North Dakota State? Um, yeah, I mean, you could contact us and, and see, you know, what, what ideas we might have for you. The other thing is, is has the, um, you know, have you done evaluation of the program? Um, so that's another uh, piece of what we do. Is, is And you do that. You we evaluate do that. programs. We do. That's probably the biggest thing that we do is wow. program evaluation. Um, a lot of times it's for a grant that... Mm-hmm. Um, that um, has an uh, evaluation requirement to it. Uh, but we also do a lot of program evaluation as well. Mm-hmm. Um, making, you know, because you want to make sure that you're investing in products and services that work. Exactly. And, exactly. you know, we all can probably think of government funded or even privately <laughs> funded programs that get funded over and over again. And they're not making a difference mm-hmm. for anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not moving the needle. And so um, how do we, how do, you know, through evaluation, we can help folks move that needle. You know, we can say, well, in our in the evaluation, this is what we found that wasn't working. But these are three ways that it could work. Mm-hmm. Tweak this part, and you're going to move the needle. And so um, that's probably one of the biggest things that we do is evaluation. So, so let's expand this dialogue. So there's someone listening today, or many people listening. They're uh, on tribal council. There's others who might be uh, health workers. There's other people that are just interested. They're tribal elders, and they have a voice in their community. And they're saying, boy, you know, what Gretchen and her team at North Dakota State University are doing sounds really exciting, sounds like we could benefit from this. Um, trying to connect the dots. I'm sure there's a fee for your services, right? Um Yes and no. Mm -hmm. So um, we do have some very generous um, funding that um, allows us to provide services at some services at no cost. Mm -hmm. Um, And then um, oftentimes when 
uh, tribes are writing grants for projects mm. and they want us to do the evaluation. We're written into that grant oh, great. Um, as an expense as well um, for the evaluation uh-huh, piece. Uh-huh. And... Um, and then, you know, we do look at, we do accept contracts, so sort of fee-for-service mm-hmm. as well. So there's a variety of different ways mm-hmm. that people can access the services. Um, so it's there. So it's not necessarily going to be a cost, but there there may be a small fee. But we're not, we are not high-priced consultants. Uh, we don't fly in on a private jet okay. to fly out later in the day. Um, we, we don't helicopter. We, uh-huh. um, we 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 meet with the community we come back to the community um and the report back is one of the really important things that we always make sure that we do is um sharing the results of any work we've done with the community that we've done it in um so so that tribal communities can then take that information and use it Mm -hmm. um to move forward i mean this is so powerful what i hear you saying i hear you making an eloquent plea. Of course, you're not. I'm, I'm making the plea. But what you're saying is if you're interested in tribal health issues in your community, one of the resources you've got to at least have on your roadmap is North Dakota State University. Am I, I hearing you right? I would think so, but then I'm also kind of biased because well, I, I, I do work there. But, <laughs> yeah, but, you know, we do um, – we're working with the tribe right now doing a community health assessment. Mm-hmm. Um, we – we did um, strategic planning for a diabetes program um, in a community. So there's a, a lot of different capacity building pieces um, to public health that we're um, able to help with that. Yeah, um, please think of us as as a resource. So how does someone get a hold of you or other members of your team? So the best way to reach us, because we are rarely in our office because we're usually out in tribal communities working, um, is to go to our website. And if you go to the NDSU website. Um, It's www.ndsu.edu backslash public health. The American Indian Public Health Resource Center is on that landing page for the public health department. Okay, great. So all i got to remember is North Dakota State University. The initials are ndsu.edu and then slash public health. Correct. Okay. Wow, Gretchen, it's amazing how this clock shows no mercy no matter where we are. Listen, I've so appreciated you pulling away from your booth and your time here. And I'll just let my listeners know, and you guys can hold me to this, everyone tuning in. I am actually going to plan to uh, contact the team there at uh, North Dakota State and see if there's some ways that we can collaborate and uh, make more of an impact in Indian country with some of the work we're doing with blood pressure and diabetes. So thank you so much, Gretchen. Thank you for having us on today. Well, we've got to say goodbye. That's it from today's show from the National Tribal Public Health Summit in Prior Lake, Minnesota. I'm Dr. David DeRose, as always, wishing you the very best of health. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.